Hi everybody, this is Coach Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains Podcast. My guest on this episode is Cole Crosby. Cole and I have a history of racing together and Cole has been really great about reaching out um, and, and uh, kind of talking about the, the 200 mile distance since I'm doing Bigfoot. He's been super encouraging. Um, the last time Cole and I saw each other was at the uh, Cosmet 50K, which is in Long Island, um, up in New York, obviously. And uh, it's the 50K Road uh, U.S. Championships. And uh, this was right before COVID hit. Um, you know, things were starting to uh, to kind of show up. Um, we were starting to see cases. I think we kind of had an idea of what it was at that point. And, um, you know, it was, it was kind of at the point where, like, should I travel? Um, you know, there was a confirmed case, I believe, in, uh, in New York. Um, but it hadn't exploded yet. Um, but, uh, that's the last time I saw Cole, um, <laughs> we talked about the race, uh, before we hopped on the, uh, uh, the recording. Um, I, I, it was actually, <laughs> that was actually my first episode was, uh, recording for that race. <laughs> uh, funny enough now that I'm thinking about it, but, um, anyhow, Cole, um, as you'll hear, raced the Coca Dona 250. Um, out in Arizona, he placed uh, 12th overall, 10th male, um, had a fantastic, um, adventure out there. And, and really, I loved his story, uh, quite inspiring for, especially for me with Bigfoot coming up. So, um, here's Mr. Cole Crosby. All right. I'm here with Cole. Cole, we, uh, we were talking a bunch before this got started, but, uh, let's just, uh, start with who is Cole Crosby? <laughs> Well, that is, could be one of the, that question could pretty much be a whole podcast in and of itself, right? Um, I mean, ultimately, I think I'm just a person that um, loves moving outside. That's probably the first thing, you know, um, in terms of labels. I mean, um, I'm a husband to an incredible, super duper human wife that uh, is also my my crew boss and biggest supporter. And um, I have um, the for, I have four fur ba- or five fur babies. We just adopted a kitten, so we got three cats and two dogs. Um, so we're very busy that way. So I guess I'm a um, what pet dad and um, you know runner, um, you know um, recreation sports kind of um, business um, sole proprietor kind of deal. And um, you know again, someone that's a true beast coaster as well. Um, I've lived in other parts of the country uh, primarily for school, but um, you know, I've, I just, I love everything about the, the, what we call the beast coast, the East coast and, uh, take immense pride in trying to, um, you know, lift people up through the crazy athletic endeavors that I, um, do. Absolutely. So. Yes. You've had some fun adventures. I do, I do keep up with you on social media. <laughs> um, when did you start running? Um, I would say, um, probably when I was, well, unorganized when I was four years old, I remember some fond memories of just running around the Princeton university track as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, small little stubby legs. I would sprint as fast as I could and I'd fall flat on my face every time. And, but I always got back up. Right. And I think that's a great message for 
<clears throat> like running Cocodona, for example, like it's something that I guess has been ingrained in my DNA, if you want to want to call it at that. Um, but in terms of like actual organized running, I mean, the sixth grade gym class mile was kind of like my my breakout party, you know, um, I think I ran like under six minutes a mile or something like that. And the um, gym teacher was also the seventh and eighth grade cross country coach. And he was like, oh, when you're in seventh grade, definitely come out for cross country. And I was like, what is this? Like running in fields and all this stuff. And um, it's that, that stuck with me. Um, you know, once seventh, seventh grade and eighth grade rolled around, I got into cross country. And, you know, that's kind of where things took off from there and been, you know, running, organized running pretty much ever since and then doing it on my own after college. Right on. Very cool. And what uh, what brought you to uh, to Ultra? What, what was that evolution like? Um, yeah, I mean when I was getting, when I was leaving the University of Oklahoma, I uh, was getting into like shorter distance, like mountain trail races. Um, and I thought that that was going to be like, run, like a Mount Washington road race is going to be kind of like my thing. Like Joe Gray was always a big inspiration for me because he was an Oklahoma State grad. He was a couple years older than me. So like I knew about him. I didn't get to run against him or with him or anything like that. But, um, you know, he was a big inspiration. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a mountain runner. And um, I did some of those events and got my, I got humbled pretty quickly and was like, um, I probably need more time to get good at something like that. And what I found was the, the further the distance, the better that I was with the different variables that you would encounter in a race, the hills, the downhills, the, you know, um, change in temperature, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, that's kind of what led me into ultras. I, um, ended up doing a 50k race in Arkansas in the lead up to the Oklahoma city marathon, which was going to be my first official marathon. And I thought so he, did, he did a 50k you know, before your first yeah, marathon. Yeah. Knucklehead, knucklehead kind of post-college college guy, right. He's just like, Hey, uh, if I can run a 50k on dirt roads in Arkansas up in the Boston mountains, yeah, I should be able to run a fast marathon. And I ran really well. I ran like three fifty three for that race. Right. On. Um, it's called the white rock 50k, um, just South of Fayetteville, the Boston mountains are really a great region, a great area for training and, and whatnot. Um, and my wife's family is kind of like nestled in that a little bit south of that area. So every so often I get to go out there and kind of like explore. But um, yeah, that was like my first first official ultra. Nice. Um, I also, funny enough, I did a six hour um, race in Oklahoma that fall um, called the, uh, uh, it was like a, it's like where Camille Heron trains at now, the Oak okay. Bluff trails, and they're just like mountain biking trails. And it was like a two mile loop, and like people would do like it was like the 24 hour the dirty way or something like that is what it was called. <laughs> um, and I did the six hour version, and I went out uh, again. I didn't know how to fuel and do all that kind of stuff, so I was drinking Gatorade, water, M and M's, you know, whatever I thought was made sense. And I remember bonking so hard, like I got to 40 miles, and like I don't know, like maybe just a little bit over four hours. And then um, like super fast, like I was running like a breakneck speed. And then I just totally, I slept for like an hour, like walked around for like another hour. <laughs> and uh, I, I ended up, I think winning that, that distance, but like someone was catching me towards the end. Cause I gave up like right. you know, a ton, ton of time in, at the end, but um, that was kind of a, an intro. And then when I moved back out East, that's when I really, really dove into ultras, you know, under Ian Golden at the Finger Lakes Running Company, you know, Cayuga Trails, 50, Virgil Crest, um, all those races are really kind of where I was like, yes, I'm officially an ultra runner. Nice. 
nice. Yeah. He's he's great. Ian does a lot for our sport, and he has yeah. some great races for sure. Um, that's fantastic. Um, so, um, what? Um, how many hundreds had you done prior to uh, Cocodona? Zero. Zero. <laughs> I've I've run uh, maybe like four one hundreds, but I've never officially or no. We'll take that back. Maybe five one hundreds, but I've never officially considered gotten any official finish. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is yeah. that crazy? Well, I didn't see anything, but I knew you had done some uh what do we call them? Like journey runs or adventure runs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you could talk about some of those. Those you've done some really cool ones. So uh give yeah. us a give us a hint into some of those. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was one of those things where like finishing like I, I think part of it was like the hundred mile races I chose are like some of the harder ones on the East Coast, like not a Virginia style one, but like eastern states, mm-hmm. really, really hard. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, the rocks killed me. I, uh, pinched yeah. and driven my back and was like, there's no way I can go up. I can't even walk straight. Like, how am I going to go up these mountains? Right. Um, I ran the, the cut 112 in Connecticut. Okay. And I came into that. I was left for last year. I came into it and I scouted the course, injured my ankle. And then I injured my ankle like two or three more times. And it took me about eight months to get my ankle. Right. That's how brutal this course can yeah. be. Yeah. Um, and I was running a really good pace, but you know, there's that, um, Pine Creek challenge. I, uh, it was my first official 100. That was a DNF. I got to like mile 80 or something. And like, I did some to my groin and like had weird, like muscle spasms. And like, I didn't feel like walking for another, you know, yeah, 16 hours was going to be appetizing. So I just <laughs> said no. Um, and it's pretty remote actually, like in terms of like eight stations are really mm-hmm. far spread out, spread out. Gotcha. Um, that kind of stuff. And then in terms of like leading into the pandemic, I was like thinking about doing some hundred mile things as I, was, I felt like that was the monkey in, monkey on my back or the monkey in the room or whatever, however you want to phrase it. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to show that I can run hundred miles. I know I can, I just have to do it. And um, that's where running New Jersey came, came about, which that um, on paper was around 190, but in actuality, it was almost 200. It was 197 for me. Wow. Um, and so I prepped for that and, uh, in January, 2021, um, at two in the morning set out from the highest point in New Jersey and shot for Cape May, which is, um, a gr- great re- kind of resort beach, beach town and, you know, winging it. Um, we, uh, Ashley is my kind of my wife, a true crew champion. I mean, and the community that came out to support us was absolutely unreal. Like, I mean, we had probably like hundreds of people that came out to drop off food, that's like cool. just run with me, like ring cowbells, kids with signs <laughs> and stuff. It was the craziest thing. Like, um, and mind you, we're, we're kind of in the, the pandemic, you know, kind of in the in midst of the right. pandemic. Right. Sure. And, um, you know, I got that completed and was like, like unbelievable. Okay. I, I pretty much ran 200 miles and I did it in a pretty good time. Like, um, that, that for me was like a truly, it was a turning point. Really. It was a life-changing moment where I was like, huh. I used to set limits on like how, what, on like how far I could go and what distances and such. And what I learned from that experience was that the only limits that you set are the ones that you set on yourself. And if you, if you don't set limits, then, and you have the the will and ability to keep pushing, you can go, you can go as far as you want to go. So if you want to run a thousand miles, you can do it. Like I, again, with proper training preparation, but if you have the, the, the mental will to, to, you know, and, and have a support network that's going to help, help you when things go south. I mean, you can pretty much go forever. And 
um, you know, Cocodona for me was also that kind of like eye-opening experience too. So what, uh, what brought about Cocodona? What, what lured you to that event? Yeah, I think, I think what it was with a lot of people is, um, <clears throat> just the live stream, the, the whole, the whole, um, presentation of the events. Um, the fact that, um, you know, I had some of my friends running that race in the first year and I was like, you never know what's going to happen in a first year event. I really wanted to do it, but I wanted to see kind of how things would play out before committing. And so, you know, I, I stuck to that live stream like a, like a hawk. I really just <laughs> wanted to get as much Intel and kind of like taking that experience. And I was just really moved, you know, it was just such a cool, um, production and, um, you know, just to see, see people move through that type of terrain. Um, it was uh, really inspiring and was like, this has to be the, the 200 that I do because um, <clears throat> the other thing is like from a, because of the live stream and those things, it's also fun for like, you know, family and friends, you know, it's, it allows people to um, get to follow along when they don't actually have to buy a plane ticket and fly out to Arizona, you know, and mm -hmm. that to me was really special. And I think the, the live tracking, the way that it's done, it was super helpful. It, it, I liked it because I also wanted to be a vacation for like my wife and my dad in a way. So I knew that they were going to be pretty busy taking care of me, but at the same time, I wanted to, wanted to have some comfort knowing that, you know, they could always check the tracking and see where I'm at in any time. So if they're in town doing some stuff, like you don't have, they know that they have a couple hours before they're going to see me. So they don't have to worry about going from checkpoint to checkpoint and stressing out about that stuff. It's like things are kind of set up. So, um, and plus it's just cool. Like running through Arizona is just cool. Um, you know, I hadn't been back out there since I was a freshman in college. So it was, um, super, super cool to kind of like retrace some steps and run a whole lot of new steps through there. So did you have, a like a, a personal why at all? Did you have something that you were, you know, had, and then you don't have to share it if you, uh, you know, <clears throat> with that, but yeah. Um, I think for me, it was more, um, I, um, in terms of for the, for the East coast, like I wanted to, I think part of what I think of as an athlete is like, I live in Rhode Island right now. It's 88 feet above sea level is where my house is. Um, I wanted to, you know, I've been running at a pretty high level for a long time and wanted to just in a bigger stage event, like just, you know, show that we can, we can do well, you know, I don't, ha I don't have to live at a higher altitude to be able to thrive, you know, and, um, you know, I was really, really impressed with actually how my preparation played out during the race. Like I, I felt like I was the most prepared that I could have ever have been um, physically. And, um, you know, it just goes to show like, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, like you could live in, in a basement somewhere, you know, like <laughs> at minus 30 feet sea level, and you can still compete with the best of them out there. Um, again, it's a, it's a limit, right? Like, I, I don't think we need to set limits. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was kind of a big why for me was just to throw down, you know, yeah, East Coast represent. Yeah, <laughs> Nice. Um, let's talk about your, your preparations. I mean, we'll, obviously we'll talk about the race and give people more of a background of the race, but, um, you know, training for 250 miles, did you do anything different in your preparation? Um, I would say I kind of trained similarly to what I did for New Jersey. So I just did, um, a lot of, I pretty much ran hills all the time. Uh, maybe it would have one flat run a week and I was running on, even if it was a recovery run, I was running on some 
form of hills around here in Rhode Island. What that means is like, you know, you can get um, without repeating the same hill, you can get about 400 feet to 600 feet of elevation in, you know, six to eight miles kind of thing. Um, so not bad. Um, there's a, there's actually a lot more hills here than you would expect. Um, and they're actually pretty good, good training. Um, so I did that. Um, crazy enough. I think the funny story was that I ran a snowshoe race, like, um, in the middle of a blizzard <laughs> as my big training race simulation for Coconona. Um, and again, this is like put on by peak races, which is kind of affiliated with Joe Decina, um, on his family farm. And, um, you know, I got 90 miles, uh, 30,000 feet of elevation gain descent wow. in, uh, I don't know, like eight degree temperatures, minus 20 wind chill at night. Oh my um, gosh. you pretty much summit like a 2000 foot mountain 16 times. Woof. And there's more, obviously there's more Hills to, to just that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was really like, after that, I was like, huh, if I could do this in snowshoes and like, I could definitely do the same similar amount of elevation in 250 miles. So that was a huge confidence booster. Yeah. Does it apply in terms of like hot, dry desert to snowy blizzard Vermont? <laughs> Not necessarily, but it's a, it's a, it's a similar mental, I think, uh, stressor. Um, it's different, the different extremes, right? So like, I mean, no matter what extreme you're in, I think the, 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 you know, the mental, um, I guess, strength that you can gain from it's the same. So that's, that's what, how I apply things. Um, and then besides that, I did, I ran the Boston marathon as a, a, a tune-up run. Um, you know, I just did a lot of standard training, you know, like I had some 90 mile weeks again, I'm not a high mileage runner. That's the other thing is, um, I've been running probably like 70 to 80 miles a week for, I don't know, like a long, long time, well over, well over a decade, maybe 15 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I have a, what I think what that's helped me do is be able to get a good amount of quality fitness without like overdoing it. So like, I don't really knock on wood. I don't really get injured, like overuse injuries because I, I've kept kind of that base for a long time. So, um, and that's another thing, like, you know, I want to show that you can still be uh, a high level athlete without having to run 140 mile weeks. You don't, have, you don't necessarily have to do that unless you really want to. Um, you know, but a real structured training block, you know, for me, like I had two weeks of simultaneously at like 90, 90 plus miles, tons of elevation. I felt in, in some warmer weather, felt like that was perfect. Right on. Yeah. So. Did you do any, um, any type of workouts? Um, did you do anything to work out? Like to try to, um, you know, they say sometimes that, uh, going to altitude, the best thing you can do is just get your fitness as high as possible. So were you working out in any regard? Yeah, I think um, for me, I do a lot of my training without looking at my watch. I, I call I call it the like uh, float float runs where I just kind of like go out and like I'll look at what Strava says afterwards. But the goal is to be as efficient as possible based on my effort level. And um, I had a couple of weeks where I was doing like 640, like every mile was in this near the 640 range, and I'm like, whoa, like mm -hmm. I'm on routes that normally are pretty, you know usually like in the high six fifties and sevens. And I'm like, Whoa, I think I'm really fit. And, um, <clears throat> I started working with some coaches too, that are both really, um, focused on race nutrition as well as strength training. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of like, um, 
almost like CrossFit style kind of workouts. Okay. Um, to work at work on strength training. It was kind of a crash course because I started working with them in March. So I had like a month or two to really like hone in on things. And it helped out so much. Like I could do like a 30 mile training run and I would do like a circuit training. I'd run 10 miles, do a, a circuit, run more another 10 miles, do a circuit. And I do that like all like I'm one, one, weird in the sense that I do a lot of my training fasted at this point. Um, <clears throat> at least not for like super long stuff, but like I'll take like a salt tablet. I'll drink a lot of water. Um, maybe take a jet one gel if I feel like I just need a little bit of calories, a little bit of a boost. Um, but I made that shift kind of in 2018 and it's, um, really, it's really helped me a lot. Like, um, and again, I'm not like keto or, you know, low carb this and all that. I'm not really strict about this stuff. Um, I just have learned kind of there's certain things that work well for me Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I've kind of gone all in on that stuff and it's really paid great dividends. So yeah, everybody's an end of one. Um, you know, I mean, my doctor, my family doctor, you know, as I was talking on the podcast like last week, he, uh, I'm on week three of just fat adaptation because I was, you know, I'm 45 now, like my middle age metabolism. <laughs> I, you know, I just couldn't get the weight off. And uh, no matter what I did, you know, um, just we tried being less on the calories and all of that, you know, and, and watching what was going in. But it just, you know, it was just there, there it was. <laughs> so, we went to the the fat adaptation and my, you know, my body's responding and I'm eating healthier. That's for sure. That's part of it, you know? Um, but, um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm making the gains that I need to, cause I don't want to carry around <laughs> extra weight for 200, you know, 200 miles. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's it, like you said, it works for some and not for others. It's just, you got to figure out what works for you, which is great. Um, and then you talked about, you know, well, like the expectations obviously for Arizona is, heat. So, um, you know, did you do any type of heat protocol or just, you know, going out and training in the heat? Yeah. Um, I was, it's funny. I was messaging a lot with Joe McConaughey during this time and me and him were, would just do like Instagram messages and we would have jokes about like how many layers we were wearing and stuff. So we definitely <laughs> did some of that stuff. Um, cause again, like we both live in somewhat similar climates, like not, you're not going to get, you know, 90 degree heat all the time. Right. So, um, I'm lucky in the sense that my house, like when we bought our house, it has an awesome hot tub and I'll, I will talk that up all the time. Um, and I actually use that a lot for active recovery and also for some heat training. Like I do a run, like use the, like the little baby white things that like clean you up and stuff mm-hmm. and then hop into the hot tub. <laughs> and while my core temperature was elevated and hang out in there for like 20 minutes. And, um, uh, I loved it because it's like, I'm getting active recovery. So all my joints and tendons and everything is, are, kind of getting relaxed by the jets, but then I'm also getting a little bit of that elevated kind of heat temp. Yeah, so good. that was kind of my home, um, you know, homemade kind of version. Sure. Um, cause I, you know, my, I don't, I saunas are, are good and that stuff, but I mean, for me, hot tubs are better. So, um, yeah, right I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm a believer. I love it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, that's what they've been saying is with sauna or a hot tub, you know, it's just that immersion in the heat. So it's really just getting that internal temperature up, like you said. Awesome. Perfect. Um, and you already talked about, uh, having the strength component, um, added in. So, um, you had a pretty comprehensive training plan. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And, and, and I'm with you, I, I don't believe in super high mileage. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes it's wasted and you don't recover and, you know, so I agree it's, you know, I'm, I'm not a high mileage guy myself. Um, 
I've been hitting like, you know, 70, maybe 80 on a high week, but um, that's where my body recovers, you know, and that's what we got to figure out, right. Is where are you recovering? Um, so very cool. Um, anything else you can think of on the, the training front that may have been different for Cocodona 250? Um, I mean, I started using some different products. I mean, not to give like, um, so I, for me, like I've had an issue with a lot of products out there. Like, you know, you know, I had used so much stuff that I would get issues with like insulin resistance. Okay. Um, I did start working with UCAN, which was like, uh, really saving grace for me because I've never had such consistent energy output since using them. So it's like something that, you know, worked for me. Is that and, the, the high um, starch product? Yeah. It's a complex carb, um, which I didn't even realize that like, at first I was like, do I even need carbs? And it's like, of course I need carbs, but the complex <laughs> carbs apparently cooperate well for me. And it's um, kind of corn-based, but it's um, designed to really, it doesn't spike your insulin really at all to very minimally. So you're pretty much at a homeostasis kind of like even line of energy output. Um, in terms of the product, like it doesn't, similar to like, other gels and other stuff on the market, like that stuff, like you feel, you feel like you get a boost from it, but you have to keep putting more in to sustain. Right. Mm -hmm. The, the UCAN product is like, you just feel kind of like very, you don't feel that big boost, but you just feel like rock solid. So like, you don't have like low moments if that makes sense, which is, it's sure. like super cool. Like, I just feel like I'm like, like a Superman, like, a, like <laughs> I got like the 12 pack, like abs and like, I just feel so rock solid. So, um, yeah, I really, really have been turned on to that stuff and it's been just working out really well. And you said you started working with them. Did they like um, kind of have suggestions for you? Did you have somebody you talked to or did you mean mm -hmm. in the sense of, um, yeah. good. Yeah. It's a, cu a couple of things. I started working with my new coaches. Um, one of them has kind of been dietitian nutrition um, background and um, she had suggested um, a pro product like you can. So okay. I started trying some out and was like, Oh my God, what is this stuff? This is amazing. <laughs> I haven't tried this in like years. And, you know, they had changed up their formula just slightly and tweaked things and it was just really good. And, uh, so I had kind of, um, connected with, with them and just kind of like started a conversation and, you know, one thing to the next. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, they're just very genuine people. And so the official partnership kind of came about and was like, wow, that this is awesome. Like, I definitely nice. want to work with you guys. It, it was just, <laughs> It was just a very, um, what's it like serendipitous, like things yeah. just kind of like magically kind Snap. of came together. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. But yeah. I was actually just talking with a athlete I used to coach and he's really gone on to the, the, UCAN kick. And so I've been looking at it myself, especially for, you know, Bigfoot. So, um, interesting. You brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> so. let, let me, let me know. I okay. you got, you got an inside line. So. <laughs> right on. I yeah. will. I'll send you a message. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, one of the things that, um, come along with these races, um, you know, obviously we travel and, uh, you know, it, it, costs are adding up. How did you feel, um, the financial commitment was to this one? Was it, was it more than you're used to, or, you know, because oh, yeah. this is a, you know, cause it's a multi-day, can you kind of talk about some of the things, like some of the costs that people don't typically think about, um, that came about? Yeah. So I uh, like the, the events that I think I potentially like the ones that really stoked my fire are some of the most expensive ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, the 200 mile races, I mean, they're, they're not cheap. They're, 
you know, they're usually over a thousand dollars. Um, and, and at the, the cheap end, maybe like 500 or something like that for uh, like a, a brand new starting kind of race. Um, but, um, I think regardless of like, really, I mean, they're big, they, they they're, they're really big productions. I mean, uh, not just the volunteers and the aid stations and the logistics and the spot trackers and all that stuff, but it's like, there, there's so much that so much more that can go wrong in a 200 for for a runner that um you just have to have so many more people that are there to like you know help pick up the pieces you know whether that's medics whether that's um ops like event ops people that are like sweepers or you know people that are like going to look out for you if something goes wrong um yeah so i i think i think the cost can be justified for sure but you know again you know like for a race like cocodone i think um, we paid like $1,400 or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was on my mind. I was like, I gotta get my money's worth. I'm finishing this mm-hmm. thing no matter what, because, <laughs> um, and I guess that can be a big motivator too. It's yes. like when you're, you know, forking over that, that type of money, you really have to be invested in the whole entirety of totality of the experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many, um, crew members did you take out? So we had, uh, my dad and then Ashley, my wife, um, and that was my crew. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, um, I think both of them work really well together. I mean, Ashley really knows me well and she's just, um, she's, it's kind of like the good cop, bad cop. Like, I don't want to say Ashley's, she's not the bad cop, but she's the one that like, can really, she can see, even if I'm hurting, like she won't baby me. She'll like, be like, all right, take this, take this. All right, let's get you out. Go. We got five minutes. Go. Where my dad is kind of the more of the good cop and he'll kind of like pamper me a little bit more, <laughs> you know, it's his son. So I, I, yeah. I understand. Um, so I kind of have in a way the best of both worlds between the two of them and they just work really well together. And, um, you know, they were absolutely phenomenal at this event with all the things that happened to me. I mean, it was incredible. Did you have any pacers? Um, zero. I had zero. <laughs> no pacers except for um, a, a gentleman that was a volunteer with Air Vipa, Nick, that volunteered to pace me the last uh, like uh, was it like fifteen to eighteen miles of the race. Okay. From the last, from, pretty much from the last aid station up to Mount uh, Elden, down to the finish in Flagstaff. Okay. Right on. Um, did you guys rent uh, a place for the duration? Um, we. We didn't do that. We, um, there was a lot of different things going on. So my wife is also super busy. Like she's getting a second master's degree. So she had classes. She also has a busy job. She's a grants and finance manager at Princeton. So, um, <clears throat> this was her vacation, but she still had to kind of work around stuff. Cause she had mm-hmm. proposals and stuff too. So the first like day and a half was kind of like, uh, she just hung out in Prescott where the race started. Um, we extended the stay of that hotel. And then um, they pretty much car camped until flat until the finish till Flagstaff, and um, I, I lent it up to them to kind of like we were trying to figure out should we book a hotel somewhere like in Sedona or do something like that. But um, I just had this feeling that they were just going to get kind of feed off the same energy that I had, and I kind of left it up to them if they want to, they can go go and do it. And it turned out that they just stuck around. It, it was too exciting. So, um, so yeah, they, they car camped until the, until we hung out on Flagstaff. Nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, what type of planning did you have to do 
for, for this? Like, did you go over things with them and what did that look like? What do those meetings look like? Yeah, there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of planning. Um, you know, think of like the, in the hundred miles, like life in the day, right? Well, <laughs> now you're living life in like a bunch of days. <laughs> right. And so it's like, it's so much more magnified. So like you have to make sure, especially I think um, in, you know, when it comes to sleep deprivation and stuff that you can encounter in a 200 mile event, um, the runner at certain points may not have the right mental faculties to make judgments. Um, and I was uh, definitely one in that um, at one point. And, um, and so we had spreadsheets. Um, my coaches kind of wanted us to like do a blow by blow of like, you know, what am I eating at each checkpoint? Like what paces, like, uh, am, am I going to sleep here? And like, kind of like relive, like live the race um, before it even happens kind of thing. Of course, the course changed like a week and a half before the race. And we were so busy that like, I, we, I made some revisions to the, the checklist, but um, we didn't really have enough time until like at really like the two days before to like sit down and really review. Um, and of course, the other thing is you have to be adaptable because a lot of those things that I had on that list in terms of paces and stuff were like, as soon as I got to mile 20 out the window, like <laughs> nothing, nothing was, was really followed except for like my nutrition, like the, the gear and stuff, which I had an extensive gear list. Like everything was categorized in bins with like t-shirt bin, like long sleeve jacket bin, sock bin, hat bin, like <laughs> I mean, you name medical bin, like yeah. anti, like anti-chafing stuff, <laughs> like, you know, and so, uh, I think that worked out really well, but yeah, I mean, definitely, I think it's good to be organized, but also know that that stuff can kind of go right out the window when the race happens. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. How did you get that stuff out there? Um, excellent question. So, um, we, ended up, my wife ended up driving, she, uh, she was going to see some of her family in Oklahoma and Arkansas. So we actually loaded up our, our car, our Kia, um, and Kia Telluride. So a big, big SUV and <laughs> took that out there and we had just adopted a kitten. So our kitten became an, a travel cat with us <laughs> um, and came out, came all the way out for that drive. So she drove it in chunks, spending a big, big chunk of it because she's able to kind of work remote at this point. So um, you know, she was able to drive long distances on the weekends and then kind of hang out with family and then kind of same thing, drive more on the weekend to get to Arizona. Nice. So awesome. definitely, definitely helped us out a ton. I don't know if we'd be able to do that for like every big 200 and stuff, but it was definitely, definitely helped us out for coconut for sure. Yeah. Right. Right on. Cool. Um, so talk about some of your gear. What were some of the things that you put together? For this uh, event, yeah. So I think one of the best things that I did was uh, zip like bags of like what I called nutrition packs. So they had like maybe like four to five gels, um, and I did other things like I mean I do work with you can pretty exclusively, but I also took I've been using a product called E Gel. Okay. Um, complex carb, similar kind of they're a little bit higher calorie than than some of the you can products. So I kept those um, as a supplement just in case my stomach was acting funny. And trying something different. So I had those in there. I had um, these Spartan electrolyte tablets that I really love. Funny enough, like Spartan actually makes a good electrolyte tablet. It's like slow burning. So like you can take one and get like, you feel fantastic. I mean, the fact <laughs> that I ran 250 miles and my legs weren't sore at all. 
yeah. I, I credit taking those tablets because you take one every three to six hours and you're just like, it's like a salt stick, but you don't have to take one every hour. You take it every three to six. It's amazing. So I had those. Um, I had some like baby food packets. I had um, um, some of the wipes for like, um, you know, like the baby wipes and that kind of stuff. So like, and I had bags that were also for ones that had caffeine. So like, um, I would be like, if it's overnight, I'd be like caffeine or uh, I'd, or I'd be like, if I already had one, I'd be like, no, 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 just a regular one this time. So at least at the minimum at an aid station with them, I was always taking one bag. Um, and then usually I was at a certain point, I was picking through it because like maybe I still had some extra gels or what, right. whatnot. Right. Um, but that was that was huge for me. Um, I also took like some electrolyte powder, like uh, you can um, energy powder, which was really good. And um, I started also using a little bit of what's called long haul. Mm-hmm. Some of the tailwind. Yep. Absolutely love that stuff. Yep. Um, and I didn't use a ton of it, um, but I used it in, in supplement with the UCAN and it was um, everything that I use in, uh, in conjunction together with magic. It was, I, I really had um, really the best nutritional execution of a race that I've ever had. That's awesome. Um, what did so you use for at, caffeine? Out of curiosity? What, was it? what did you use for caffeine? Out of curiosity? Um, I use, so Spartan has these like little, like, um, energy like pills they're kind of like salt stick pills oh they, I, they were the, so the spartan okay yeah okay. so i, I got those my, my my coaches are affiliated with spartan spartan races and stuff they actually do coaching for some of the like ocr okay um athletes and whatnot and so i kind of uh got to know joe DeCine and his crew a little bit better and stuff and gotcha. so um i've tried some of those and the products they, they they're not like they really do work like they're really yeah. good so i, I use thought, those I a lot they were just electrolyte but they're they're caffeine as well I there's a couple part. of them. Yeah. There's okay. a hydrate, which is the electrolyte tablet. And there's one that's like energy. That's um, like the, it's pretty much just straight caffeine, Okay. but it's like, it's, it's, it's like, it's a good amount because it's not like, it doesn't, it doesn't really zap you like crazy. Yeah. I've had issues where I've like chugged a Red Bull. Like when I did New Jersey, I chugged the Red Bull and was like hallucinating like crazy. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, you gotta be smart with that stuff, but I yeah. use that. Um, and maybe like some like Dr. Pepper and that kind of stuff. But honestly, I didn't really use that much caffeine. I was really, then my napping and sleeping strategy worked really well. Like I was pretty, I was pretty coherent most of the time. There was just one stretch when you're like almost three days in that, you know, if something's going to give, this is the worth it's going to give kind of thing. Yeah. Well, talk about your, your napping strategy. What, what was that? Yeah. So I kind of did that during that snowshoe race. Um, I have found for me that doing um, anything between 15 to 35 minutes based on like um, really like usually the further I go, the more that I might need something longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to do those as frequently as I frequently as I can. So like my strategy was um, once I got to like the Fane Ranch kind of section, so like mile 120 or so, I was going to start to take a nap. Um, and um yeah, I would do like 15 minutes, um, kind of every, every so often here and there. And that just kept me really refreshed. Um, I'm, I guess I have good genetics. Cause like, if I really want to go to sleep, like I can pretty much just like shut my body off completely <laughs> in my mind and just like go into like, like you can kind of hear things around you, but like, it's like, you're just like in this like weird, like state. And, um, that worked out really well. Like I felt really strong doing that. I'm not one to do the one minute trail nap and stuff. I think that mm. when you get to that point, you've shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Cause then you're just kind of kicking the rock down the road. Right. Um, 
I think taking a little bit more time and I've heard that from other athletes that have done a bunch of 200s like if you're really really like out of it take some time like it, it'll pay off dividends um you know down the trail so um yeah so I did stuff like that I think I had like the thing the thing for me was I don't think I napped enough um I um I think I had maybe like uh leading into the last day or so I had about only an hour of total sleep um all in like 15 20 minute naps and stuff and then of course I get to this one um point where I ended up just I was so out of it I suffered two hours but I said wake me up in 20 minutes two hours go by <laughs> and I really I really needed it you know yeah. oh yeah yeah so um so yeah I mean I think if I could have slept a little bit more earlier on that probably would have helped but I was also dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff that kind of made me have to like I was like I can't sleep right now I gotta go you know I gotta get going <laughs> on the state station yep so yeah. what'd you use for lighting um I mean I had a, a host of all different types of like headlamps and stuff I have one of those cool Kogala lights mm-hmm. um I use that a little bit um but I use like I have like some of the like Nathan Halo headlamps that are really bright. Um, I have a black diamond one, Petzl one. Pretty much like one of the things that I've found is that um, I mean I think brighter is better for sure. Um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily have the brightest headlamps, but I just have I just use a lot of lights. Like I have like one of those like smaller waist lights that has like a hundred or two hundred lumens. So I'm, I'm always trying to illuminate my path. And the good thing with Cocodona is like if you want to get like um, tunnel vision, like the course is perfect for that because it's the like Arizona when it's nighttime is so dark that like virtually like if you look around, you can't see anything anyway. So you might as well just focus on lighting the trail and that's it. Yep. So I got really in the zone when it came to just like, all right, I'm just focusing on what's ahead of me and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, what was uh, what was the cactus like? Was there a lot of cactus? Oh. Yeah. So I ran with um, uh, a super fast female named Sarah. Uh, we call her Sarah O. Um, <clears throat> she's out of Flagstaff. And um, hopefully we get the Run Trans Rockies together. We put in for a, um, cool. um at-large bid or whatever you want to call it. But um, she, um, we were running with this one like ranch section. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's super fast. It's super runnable. You're running on like, like a pasture, right? Mm-hmm. But there's cactuses everywhere and it's nighttime. She oh ended gosh. up getting, she ended up stepping on one and getting the needles through her shoe into her foot and stuff. Oh my gosh. She was okay. But I mean, it was, I was like, oh crap, you got to really pay attention. Yeah. And even in the daytime, like you can see them everywhere. So like if um, the sections that you thought were fast ended up being slow because all it would take is one misstep and boom. Um, in terms of like most of the cactuses that are like on the trail, they we're usually further enough off the trail mm-hmm. where like you, unless you're like really not paying attention, like you, you wouldn't run into them. Good. I didn't really have any trouble with that kind of stuff. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> what did you wear for footwear? So I had, um, I brought three pairs of shoes. Um, I really like the Norda 001 shoes. Um, they're a cool company out of Canada, the Vibram Beaver Mousels. I'm a true believer of pretty much I'm only going to run with shoes that have Vibram bottoms. Um, that shoe is built like a tank. So it did really, really well. Um, and what I did is in the, in the nighttime sections, I switched to it. There's a company 
out of Asia called like Kylis. Okay. It's like an uh, Asian mountaineering company. And um, they're uh, used one of their shoes called the, the Fuga EX2. And the thing was uh, on, they're awesome. So people should definitely check both, both companies out. They're really solid, solid shoes. Norda is a very, very premium product. Right. Um, great. The, a wider toe box, great fit. Um, super, super, super durable. Like, I mean, I virtually looked at my shoes after Cocodona and was like, huh, I didn't even wear, I didn't put any marks on the tread. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just nuts. Um, and the Kyla shoes are, are uh, they're all lightweight. They're all like eight ounce shoes. How you spell um, super flexible, very protective. Um, I ended up using the Kyla shoes more because the lacing was like Solomon's kind of like super like speed lace adjustable. Okay. So like as your foot swelled, um, I use those more just because I could like really get the perfect top over yeah. the foot fit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they were, they were awesome. That's K Y L A Kyla. K A I L A S. K A I L Yes. A S. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Scotty, I got, I learned about him from Scotty Hawker. He's like an Australian, like New Zealand runner. Okay. Um, and, uh, he was, you know, in his kind of New Zealand Australian accent was like, Hey mate, like, you know, you should go check these shoes out. They're awesome. I was like, and I was like, Oh yeah. And so, um, you know, I started, I ended up getting a pair and was like, Huh, these are really cool. Actually. Like they, nice. you, you get some nice draw bags with them. I mean, like, yeah. it, you know, it's good stuff. And what was the third pair? You said you brought three. Same. It's another Kyla oh. shoe. Okay. I got, I had one that was called the the pro, which is like more of their, like, um, I guess top end ultra trail shoe. Okay. And then the EX, which is um to me it's more the more the long distance ultra shoe. Okay. It's more like a speed goat kind of thing. Okay. Um, but they're yeah, they're fantastic. Okay. I'll put those in the show notes. I'll try to find their websites. Cool. Very cool. All right. Um anything else? Uh what kind of pack did you use? Yeah, I used the um, you know, at, you know, I used to work for Nathan, so you know, you know that part of my story. Um <laughs> So I, um, you know, and I've been pretty much brought into the kind of the ambassador uh, squad with with Nathan, and I used the Pinnacle 12 liter pack. Okay. Uh, and that was the only pack that I wore the whole time. Okay. Uh, it was fantastic. That was like I was like so happy that I chose to wear that because yeah. not only was it super lightweight, but like I could weight it down with all the mandatory gear, and uh, it just wasn't like bobbing or bouncing and. The fact that you can, when you can finish a 250 mile race running at like sub seven minute pace, um, <laughs> with 20 pounds, almost 20 pounds of weight in your pack, like, yeah. <laughs> so, nice. um, whether it was like gravity helping out or, or what, like, I mean, it was, I had no issues, super comfortable, could carry nice. everything I needed, super breathable, like cool. didn't, didn't even look that dirty when I finished. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, they definitely have a good product with what they did there. How much fluids did you carry with you? Um, I should have carried more. That's the, that's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like the big thing to preface this, the big thing that I made a mistake, a big, big mistake on was that I just didn't anticipate how dry it was going to be, mm. uh, especially at altitude. I had no idea. Like I've never known what cotton mouth was until I ran this race. And <laughs> was like, if I'm not sipping on water, like virtually all the time, my mouth is totally parched. Yeah. I'm like, this in the in the East Coast, this never happens. Like, what the no. heck? So, well, so yeah, we've got humidity. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I like I carried um, 
probably like uh, about five to six soft flask bottles okay. um, and a handheld. So I had like a, um, at least in the beginning, I had the handheld and then I just went with the soft bottles. Um, I had probably most of them were like the 17 or 18 like um, ounces. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, probably like at least 40, 40 to maybe 60 ounces plus or something like that. I should have really used a bladder to be honest. I mean, Joe McConaughey, he had, a, he had a bladder and he had some bottles and stuff. And that guy ran such a textbook performance. Like it was just, I mean, he was running the pace I ran for New Jersey through Arizona with, you know, 25,000 feet more elevation gain than what I did. And that's just absolutely with those conditions obscene. Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, I was cruising through New Jersey. And so um, just, I mean, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um and so I wish I could have talked to him more about that stuff in the lead up because yeah. I, I didn't anticipate, I, you know, there were some sections I ran out of water and stuff. Um, part of it was just kind of rushing out of the aid station and just like leaving a bottle with my crew and be like, oh, no, it's just, this is only 12 miles. And it turns out to be like 17, you know. Mm-hmm. And so those misjudgments kind of bit me in, in the butt a little bit for sure. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you do anything for sun protection? Yeah. Um, so um I used I, I was lucky I got some REI sales. So I got these cool sun gloves from um outdoor research. Okay. Um they had like the with the fingers cut off and stuff. Yes. Amazing. And then I also had some sun sleeves from REI um that were fantastic. And I wore those pretty much, you know, anytime it was in the daytime, I had those going. Um I kept the gloves a lot because with my trekking poles, I was getting a little bit of blistering on my palm. Mm-hmm. So I just wore those and they worked out great. Uh, I was just like, these are cool. I don't care if they're dirty. I'm going to wear them. <laughs> and um, uh, I did have a bucket hat. Didn't chose not to wear it. Um, you know, I had my buffs and stuff so I could like wrap it around my whole head when it got really hot. So I did that on a couple occasions. Um, the buffs were great because you can wet them and throw ice in them and do all that stuff. So I used those a ton. Um, wore a lot of trucker hats just for ventilation. And, um, uh, I am, I did partner up with a new company called T8, which is really cool. And they have this shirt that's called the ice tea and it actually has like the, like those cooling properties to them. Right. So not only did it keep the sun off of me, but, um, I could wet it and it would act like a, um, like an ice towel. Right. So that was absolutely huge because I didn't have to like bust out all of my ice towels. I could just wet the shirt and was like, Oh, I feel like I'm feel great. You know? <laughs> and of course that only lasts for so long in the desert. Yeah, right. But, um, even so it still gives you a good boost. Right on. Very cool. Um, any other things, uh, gear wise we should mention? Um, I mean, I think for, for all those listeners out there, I think the best advice I can give is gear like i love gear for one 200s are like they're like the epitome of of gear events um and those those are the types of events i want to do like i categorize 200 mile races as expedition races because that's how you have to prepare for them like you have to carry you have to have like like in terms of t-shirts i probably had about 12 t-shirts that i could change into different uh fabrics and you know all that stuff um you know i mean i've virtually brought like half my closet for the race and I'm really glad I did because it's so like, if you, if you're just like, man, I wish I had that. It's just right. great to have tons of options, you know, seamless shirts versus 
um, super breathable ones and like, you know, all that stuff. Um, so definitely, I think, and, you know, I brought other packs to use as well. Just that one pack was just like, it just, it made me happy. So I just stuck with it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the, these events. So having, you know, I brought three pairs of shoes and I used all three pairs of shoes. I cycled them through and that was super helpful because when I would do like an outfit change, I would throw on the, the fresh pair of shoes, especially at night. And that would like revitalize me, give me a mental boost. And I'm like, all right, time to go hunting for people. Let's go. Right. <laughs> and you, you need that, especially when you don't have pacers, when you're out there by yourself, navigating with your cell phone, making sure like, you know, I definitely lost time not having pacers. I had to on many occasions, especially at night, have to stop, pull up my phone, look and see exactly if I was on course with the markers and stuff. And, you know, I mean, when you're out there in the desert, like, you know, your eyes can play tricks with you in terms of like, Absolutely. should I, you know, what's this trail? Should I take that or what? Right. And, you know, all that stuff. So it's just good to, again, kudos to Air Vipo for having that setup where um, pretty much at any time I could see exactly where I was in relation to the course. Mm-hmm. And um, that was so super helpful because it allowed me to really, even if I took like a minute or two just to check where I w- was at, um, usually then I was really good for like, miles you know yeah nice did you wear gators no but i should have okay <laughs> yeah i mean the real the real big story for me was my feet got absolutely chewed up and um now looking back on the experience i i kind of deviated from um the standard socks i normally use like i normally use a more merino wool based sock more okay. padded sock yeah um at one point i used uh, more of a compression kind of sock and in the heat of the day and some of the rocks that I was running through, it just, that it, I think destroyed my feet. It kind of turned my feet into like little foot missiles. Mm. And, um, that was kind of, um, a big blow. And of course, you know, when you're like just over a hundred miles into an event and you're just like, this is probably isn't good, but you know, I still have a long way to go. I'll be fine. I'll go to the aid station. We'll take a look at it. It shouldn't be that bad. And, um, it was really bad. Gotcha. So gotcha. Let, let's talk about the uh, the course itself. Um, mm-hmm. You've you've got 250 miles, um, starting in uh, is it Prescott? Yeah. Yeah, Prescott. 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 Yep. Yeah. Uh, and what's the altitude there? Uh, I think it's like 5300. 53. Okay, so is what it know, is in over, town. Over a mile high. What's the high point of the course? How high do you get? You remember? The very end. The very end is uh, Eldon. Mount Eldon is like mm, nine thousand something. Nine thousand. Okay. So yeah, yeah. You, you get up there. Um, what was the total elevation gain and loss? Um, it's in the thirties. Thirties. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Right on. Um, and, um, obviously you've got open desert. Was there, um, look like, I, you know, again, I was, I watched some of the video, um, look like you did get into some kind of, um, maybe a little bit of forest, but <laughs> I, I, I would just, you know, use that term loosely. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would you describe it? Yeah. So I would say the course is extremely diverse. Like it's the most diverse. I mean, in terms of getting my money's worth, like for in, ter- in terms of doing a grand tour of Arizona, like this race accomplishes that in spades, like it was incredible. So like starting off in Prescott, like you're like, okay, we're just going to do a loop around town and then end up in whiskey row where there's all these saloons and stuff. And of course, you know, for me, like the day before I'm like, well, I'm a tourist. I got to take a shot of whiskey. And I, without any chases or anything, I took a shot of whiskey the day before because you can't do it during the race if your stomach's bothering you. So, 
Um, it's just like super cowboyish, like Wild Wild West kind of style stuff. And, um, you know, the race was super exposed. Um, it's really towards the end where you get a little bit more reprieve. But even so, like you're still running in, you know, those Ponderosa Pines don't really do the best job of blocking the sun. So you're pretty much in the sun. Anytime it's daylight, you're in the sun. Um, so it really is like a high alpine desert race. Uh, you're predominantly above altitude the whole time. There's only one short stretch for like 20 miles where you dip. Well, I guess Sedona is at 4,000 feet ish. Um, but um, away from that, like you're in this like low desert section where you're like going through these little ranches and stuff. And it was like this like white silty like sand that you're running on. It was really cool. Like in these small little canyons and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the majority of the course was like, I would say probably like above 6,000 feet. And I, I, I noticed it when I got above 6,500, I noticed it. I was like, this uphill sucks. Like <laughs> I I'm, everyone's running up it and I am struggling a little bit to, I don't know if I should keep running up this. Um, but um, no, so, you know, it's uh, the beginning of the course is kind of like you're running a lot of dirt roads um down the skull valley and all this stuff you go through whiskey row which is cool it's the kind of that saloon capital and you go through all these towns throughout the run which is really cool super european style something that really drew me to the event point to point which is something you know, i really like you go through the towns for checkpoints which is really cool so you're like you never feel like you're totally like out of civilization but you kind you are at points so it's like mm -hmm. it's fun and um uh you know you there's cool sections like the granite dells once you get past um, Prescott and Whiskey Row, which is like, it's like, I ran through it at night. So it's like these, uh, cool granite rocks and like this big lake. And it looks like you're walking on the moon kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, Sedona, all the best sections I ran at night. So I wish I ran faster. Like Joe McConaughey got to see all the good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. And like Sedona, I ran through at nighttime, which when I looked at the videos of actually what we ran, I was like, Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I can't believe that I missed this. Like it just looked like I just had tunnel vision, you know? Yeah. And um it's really until like there's there's moments where you're like in the pine trees and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really until you get to Munn's Park or like on the way to it, um, past Sedona, that you're you ascend up the Coconino Plateau, which was the coolest thing. The climb, I think they call it um the Kasner Canyon Trail climb. Okay burly 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 it was the hardest climb i've ever done in my life <laughs> thing went on forever like virtually like steep grade like loose rocks totally exposed like weird like grass so you had there's some cactuses you had to watch out for and it was like just a grind and you're going at that point you go up from like four thousand to like seven thousand like 200 or 300 or something like that maybe you can go up to eight thousand and drop down i don't remember i just know that it was a like, brutal um, but the views in from bad, the backside of Sedona were like, and I, I got there just in morning and it was like the most epic thing that I've ever seen. Uh -huh. I was like, wow, like, That's this cool. is why I signed up for this race. Yeah. Um, nice. and, uh, yeah, it's really rocky. Um, it, the videos, it's funny because when I first watched the live streams and stuff, I'm like, oh, it's like a lot of dirt roads. It can't be that bad. <laughs> and, um, it's a lot of dirt roads, but there's also a lot of dirt roads with a lot of sharp rocks on them. <laughs> and these rocks, I thought they were going to be more California style where they don't really move, but these ones move. <laughs> so 
Um, that took me by surprise a lot. And right. my feet took a pounding because of that. Um, but it's just like, it's just a, such a cool course. I mean, the fact like Jerome is a funky town that you go through and it's like, you're like way up. It's like a town that's in like nestled into the hills. And you've just gone up Mingus Mountain, which is like this behemoth of a mountain. And um, and then you're going through like Cottonwood and like some other like Clarksdale or something like that. And you're like running straight through Main Street. I was talking to some like um, guys that were working on like the, the uh, uh, telephone wires and stuff. And I was just saying hi as running by. And uh, people were like in their yards watering. They're like, go, you go, you got this. <laughs> They're like, how far are you going? You, you have only only like 100 miles to go, right? You know, because like, <laughs> they had seen all the other runners and stuff. So yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe. I mean, overall as a course is great. It's a great tour. Cause like you're going through sections of Ponderosa pine into desert up into Sedona, which is like red rock country into like this weird section that remind me of like Cayuga trails, like waterfalls and like Amazonian stuff. And you're like, this is not Arizona. What the heck, where am I? <laughs> and that part was, that section was like after that, like leading it's leading into that big view and stuff. And I was like, this is insane. And um, then you're on a lot of dirt road and um, then you run through some more towns and stuff. And then you really are on the Coconino Plateau and it's Ponderosa Pine as far as the eye, I can see. Wow. And so, what, what was the, uh, the high temps? Um, you know, I don't know. I think maybe in the 80s. Okay. Um, it's the, the temperatures didn't really bother me. Yeah. Um, it was the, just the dryness. The dry, I yeah. think, I think the altitude and the dryness, like I just, uh, you know, it's, it's hot. Like the sun is hot, but it's, um, if you cover up and stuff and like keep yourself wet, like it really, if to me, it felt pretty good. And like at nighttime, it would cool down a lot. Everyone's wearing puffy coats and I'm like wearing a t-shirt at like 50 degrees. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, this is awesome. <laughs> you know? Um, nice. but you no, know, I thought it was pretty good weather. I mean, right um, you know, perfect blue skies the whole time a little bit of a breeze cool cool so yeah well, take us take us through your race yeah i'm sure you have stories to share so take us through your race yeah. um i would say that um you know for me like i wanted to put together a really good performance i felt the best prepared that i've ever been um <clears throat> you know i was shooting for in terms of like everyone said this course is going to be faster because of the reroute it takes out like the you know, 30, the 50 K of like 10,000 feet of climbing kind of thing. Right. Okay. Um, which everyone ran out of water last year and just like perished, um, the, the, you know, nothing but carnage. So yeah. with that, with, uh, with that, um, you know, I was, I was shooting for kind of a, um, something in like the 70, 70 hour range. Okay. I think, I think that my pace chart, I had it set up so that I would finish around 73, 74 hours. Um, I felt like I definitely could have done that. Um, when the race started, you know, everyone's excited and stuff. And it reminded me of like a Ragnar event. Like, it's just like very chill, but like, um, you know, very, very cool. Like just the, the quality of people at these events are just incredible. And um, how many started? I was, Do you remember? What was it? How many started? Was it like um, I think close to 200. 200. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't recall how many finished, but I think a decent amount did. Um, that's what was amazing. Everybody went out hard. We're all running like nine and 10 minute miles. And like you have runners like, a you know, uh, Annie Hughes and Joe McConaughey and stuff. And they really didn't slow down that much. 
And that's crazy to me because <laughs> I was like shaking my head. Like I got to slow down. This is way too fast right now. Like yeah. I'm on, I'm faster than what I did for New Jersey, which like New Jersey running New Jersey versus running like with all this elevation in Arizona, like with these rocks and stuff, hmm, it doesn't add up. Right. <laughs> so like I was trying to put the brakes on, but I kind of went with the flow of people. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people had some stomach issues. My stomach was a little bit off slightly uh, during the heat of the day. It just getting acclimated to stuff, the altitude, because we were up, up at near 6,000, 6,500 feet. And, you're and, um, <laughs> and I, you know, yeah. And I just had, I honestly, when we got up there, I just had a hard time. Like I really felt it and um, my stomach felt it a little bit. And it was, was really until we did a reset at Whiskey Row at mile 60. That's like the main, you know, the main major checkpoint in town. And um, what we ended up doing was a protein shake. Um, so I did a UCAN protein shake and that went down really well. And I, I, I was, I told Ashley, I'm like, every time you see me, I need to have a protein shake. And I do mine with oat, uh, like vanilla oat milk. Mm-hmm. I love the oat milk. Yeah. Um, and that pretty much reset my stomach because I was dry heaving coming into that aid station. Like I was having a really hard time. Um, I just couldn't keep down solid food the way I normally do. Um, and, uh, yeah, after that, my stomach was rock solid. Like I had zero trouble. So that was a big learning for me. I was like, huh, okay. No matter what I should, I need to take it down at least approaching shake. Cause I can, we can modify it to where I'm getting like, you know, 800 to a thousand calories. You know, if you're just loading it up with stuff, like I was drinking a big one, like one of those, like 32 ounce, like that's just chugging it. <laughs> and, um, that really helps. So, um, so, you know, my, my race went out too hard, suffered with everybody else. I honestly was in a very low mental space at whiskey row mile 60. <clears throat> took a lot of time there. Probably took like over an hour just to try and reset my stomach, roll myself out. My like muscles were like a little bit weird and queasy and stuff and like twitching. And Ashley kind of like gave me a pep talk and like kind of snapped me out of it and was like, listen, like this, this is just the beginning. Like you've gotten this far, like you're going to turn this around. You, you always said strategy wise, like I wanted to really attack day two. Cause I feel like the magic really happens after mile 100, like whatever happens in mile, the first hundred miles doesn't really matter. Like there's so much more time that you can make in that back half. And so and I knew with my, the type of foot speed that I have, you know, that calm set 50 K magical <laughs> foot speed. Right. So, um, I felt like I could maybe make a move then. And as long as I maintain my, you know, not didn't over overcook myself. So, um, <clears throat> throughout the night, like, um, I caught everybody through the granite Dells and was feeling really good ran with that Sarah. O. like I ran with her for like probably over 80 miles of the race. And then she finished right behind me, which is just like, it was like, and she had her own battles and stuff, but she's just rock solid. And it's just really cool that we got to like leapfrog and like see each other on the outback sections throughout the race and whatnot. Um, and she really helped me. She helped coach me when I was like really suffering in the first day. Um, and, uh, you know, by the end of the night, I was running with Mike McKnight, which was cool. So, you know, that's a big confidence booster. You know, he was having stomach issues. And, um, I was trying to like help him coach him mentally. Cause I was in the same spot that he was in mile 60, you know, we're already near mile 90 and, um, you know, it was fun. I ran a good chunk with him, probably like 30, 30 plus miles. 
<clears throat> and um, that was a lot of fun. And he's really, he's really a 200 mile tactician. I mean, the way that he, I mean, I'm so proud of him for finishing the race the way he did um, because to go from like, he's ready to drop at mile 80 or 90 to placing second and like having one crazy, uh, like his last like 80 miles were like absolutely nuts. Um, so, and that's, that's the beauty of the two hundreds, honestly, <clears throat> cause I, you know, again, I didn't feel great, like, um, to start out and I'm like crap. And then I started feeling good, like by Mingus mountain camp near mile, like 100 or so. Cause I'm like, Hey, I'm beating Mike McKnight up the uphills. Right. Like that's, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, like all the training is paying off. See snowshoe training can pay off. <laughs> and, um, you know, I felt pretty good through there, but there was some descents that really, that's where the rocks and stuff really started to chew at my feet. There was a crazy descent down Mingus that chewed up my feet. And then once we got to Jerome, it was really hot and I didn't change my socks, which is, I had those tight socks, which was a mistake. And I bombed down this like super exposed, like crazy rocky shale, like ski slope level grade section that goes down to the, pretty much to the desert. Um, and that's where my feet, I got crazy blisters underneath my big toes bruised my big toes and then I got blisters that formed around the blistered nails on my big toes as well as all my other feet and um by mile 120 my feet looked like when you watch these videos of like marathon to sob and like all those like desert like multi-day stage races and you're like oh this can I can never imagine this happening to me well it happened to me and I normally don't get blister problems but um this was Cocodona was my race to like have to deal with that and um, it really sucked. Um, I had to, by mile 120, I really had to reevaluate my race. Pretty much like Aaron, and I pretty much had to say, okay, I was shooting for top five, I was shooting for 73 hours. Like 73 hours probably would have put me in like third place, um, somewhere or, you know, third or fourth. Um, and I think on a, on a day where my feet weren't, weren't the factor, like I probably, based on my fitness level, probably could have been there, right? Um, but I think the beauty of the story is that, um, I was down and out, like my feet were destroyed. I had like a terrible blister on the ball of my foot. That was super painful. It was like liquid fire every step I took. And, um, I pretty much had to spend 40 minutes at every uh, aid station that had a medic to get rebandaged up and, you know, 40 minutes times nine aid stations adds up. It does. And, uh, that was part of it. That was hard. Um, it's super painful too. So like you can't really nap and like go into like a relaxed homeostasis mode when you're getting like all these big things pops. Right. So, um, so just, it took a lot of time and I probably, that's where I time that would have spent asleep. I was spent kind of like dealing with the foot stuff. Um, but you know, props to the medics, because if it wasn't for them, I would not have finished this race. I mean, my feet were horrendous. Like, I, I will not disclose pictures because they are the worst that I've ever seen feet before, <laughs> like everywhere. It was terrible. Um, so I dealt with that the whole way, like, you know, running through Sedona, I had a great section at nighttime. It was beautiful. It was nice and cool. Um, running by the airport loop was super, super cool. You can see the town with the lights down below. Um, I really enjoyed that section. Um, even though my feet were killing me and it was really by Munns Park was also the next big, big section. So that's like up in the Coconino Plateau, the beginnings of it. You do this out in the back and it's like mile 160. 
I got there around noon and I didn't start the out and back until about like, I think like four o'clock. Like it took like two hours there. Like my feet were virtually like balls of flames. Like the mm. ball of my foot was so bad. I had to pretty much peg leg it in. And um, that was a big, big moment to be like, all right, like I'm going to get passed by some people, but I just have to stay, stay tough. Maybe, the, maybe the last day is going to be my best day. And um you know, um, did the out and back, misjudged some water, got caught in mouth and got dehydrated again. You know, story goes on and on, tons of foot problems and pain and all that stuff. Luckily, my I and here's here's a move that I made that was really smart was I opted to use trekking poles as early as Whiskey Row. So from mile 60 to mile 250, I used trekking poles, and I I didn't put them away. Like if I didn't use them, I just had them in my hands just in case but I used them pretty much the whole time. And that really helped, I think on the descents and like helping, especially as my foot feet got bad. I mean, it's, it saved me and it kept my legs fresh. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess like in terms of the whole play, but play by play of the race, like Munts Park was a huge point, lost a lot of time. I made a move. A lot of other runners were sleeping because I, I left Munts Park when it was dark and I'm like, all right, I'm going to, this is where I'm going to catch people and like make, make some moves. Um, but also at this point was when I got delirious and it was a long stretch, 18 mile stretch with no aid mm. up on the Coconino plateau, like through the ghost pines is what I call them. Like the ponderosa pines up there, like the, the, the bark of the trees would look like ghost white, super creepy. Yeah. It was like, it was the, that, that, that stretch was the eeriest stretch of the whole race. Because I was, I looked at the tracker and I was the only person that was on that 18 mile stretch at that point. Oh, so it was just me. Yeah, that's crazy. And the wind was blowing and you can see the trees kind of moving. And it was just like, it was like really, it was kind of definitely eerie up there. And again, you're up at 73, 7,400 feet. And um, I got really, I felt good the first like 13, 12, 13 miles. And then slowly was a de decline and I started losing like my grasp of reality. Right. So like, it was like, um, my vision started to get a little bit funky. Like it was hard to focus with the headlamp. I still knew where I was and like what I was doing, but then it got to a point where like, I, my mind, my mind started like leading my body in a way. And it was almost like, I was like watching myself run this race. Um, as if I was sitting at home watching my own, like my own mental recap of what was happening. Moment. So like to describe it, it just felt like I had already run the race and that I was watching it through my mind's eye. <sighs> and that's what I believed. I, and that's the thing is I'm a lucid dreamer. So like when I dream, like I virtually, if I don't like how a dream is playing out, I will virtually change the dream while it's happening in my mind. Cause I can, <laughs> I can, I just manipulate the stuff. And so when I'm dream, dreaming awake, the same thing happens. <sighs> so it's really like, you know, where people see things, I don't see things. I virtually like fight with myself and in terms of how I perceive reality, it's the craziest yeah. thing. Yeah. And so it happened to me in New Jersey a little bit and it really happened to me at, at, in that stretch at Cocodona. And so um, I fought through it. Uh, it virtually felt like a salmon swimming upstream at one point, like virtually every step I took, I could feel the pressure of the altitude and feel like the pressure of like the world, like pushing against you. Like it was, just, it felt like a current, like I was swimming upstream. It felt so weird. Um, and at that point I was getting so tired. Every step was like summoning Everest. It was like every little step was like all the energy I had. 
and um, uh, virtually I would take like little naps by like resting my head on my trekking poles for like a minute or two, just to kind of like make sure my eyes were like focused and stuff. Um, I was always coherent. I was always I like always there. Like I was always moving forward. I wasn't off the trail or doing anything like that. It was just the ability to move forward was impossible. And I mean, when it takes me 50 minutes to go 0.4 miles, like, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. is that when they were nuts. texting you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, so actually mentioned. my dad, yeah, yeah, actually my dad were sending me messages and at, mind you, this is like three in the morning, right? Like I knew the stress was going to be hard. And, um, it was like, I mean, you know, I, I talked about like, you know, the state of Rhode Island is all about hope and all that kind of stuff. And it was like that for me, that was like, the, the darkest moment in terms of like, I didn't think this aid station was even going to be here. I thought it was going to be a joke. Like the tracker was going to be like, ha ha, nope, you got another six miles to go. Right. <laughs> and one of the things that kept me like in the moment was that my, I had my watch, my watch on, but what I did was I, I did, wa I switched out my watch a couple of times. And so for this stretch, I started with a fresh charged watch. Mm -hmm. And so I knew, okay, mile 12. Okay. Mile, by mile 18 is the aid station. Okay. Six more miles to go. And so when my watch would beep, like, I would be like, I look at it and be like, okay. Like I would snap out of that, that fog for a second and be like, okay, I'm only so, so far away. Um, and it's so hard to describe what I went through, but like, it's the most profound experience that I've ever had. Um, it was unreal. It was like something you would encounter in a movie. Um, it, so it was really crazy. And uh, it was like the biggest relief when I finally made it to that aid station, mile 205.5. And <clears throat> I finally realized that these people weren't figments of my imagination. <laughs> and, you know, I'm pretty much vegetarian. And they're like, here, we have some really good chicken nuggets. And I was like, yeah, I like these. <laughs> and I'm just like hanging out by the fire. And like, you know, it was cold that night. It was like 30, 30 degrees or whatever up there. I was fine. I mean, um, I had a jacket. I didn't wear gloves. I didn't feel like I needed them. But um, I had like a puffy jacket and felt you know, I mean, I'm used to doing going in minus 20 degrees. Yeah. So yeah. 30 degrees wasn't that bad for me. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I kind of turned the corner with stuff. And um, then that's when I woke up and saw Dominic Grossman two hours later. <laughs> and there had been a few runners that passed me in that stretch. And um, once I kind of like finally came to, I messaged Ashley um, saying like, hey, I'm coming to you, you know. Um, and then that's when I like started pretty much sprinting as hard as I could for eight miles to the aid station. Cause it was super runnable. And I was like, I felt like I was awake, like that, that daydream that I had or night dream or whatever, like I snapped out of it completely and, uh, off I went. And honestly, after that, I didn't have any, I wasn't tired the whole rest of the way. And <clears throat> of course, as the story goes, um, I, Go into the aid station where Chris Thornley, the owner of uh, Squirrels Not Butter, was. Super cool guy. First time ever meeting him. Um, and uh, I run out of the Walnut Canyon aid station like a bat, like a man on a mission. Like I was doing like it was like it reminds me of like UTMB, like when the runners are like sprinting, they're like <laughs> like Killian's like sprinting out, and they're like go go go, Ade! you know all that <laughs> stuff. Like I, I felt like that because I was going out like seven minute pace, like I was going <laughs> hard, like it was like a five k boom, and um, Unfortunately, I didn't pack enough water for that stretch. Oh, man. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be so exposed. It was like a whole nother desert section. And again, you're above 7,000 feet. The sun's just, it's heat of the day. The sun's beating on you. And um, yeah, I had a bad dehydration 
section and uh, had a guy that was nice enough that kind of bailed me out. And <clears throat> that's when the race command like checked up on me and stuff. And I had to sit at the aid station for another, I don't know, 30, 30 minutes or so um, just to make sure I was okay. And I was okay. I was definitely super dehydrated and thirsty. Like I have a whole new appreciation for water <laughs> after running Cocodona for sure. Um, and then, you know, just like all things, like, I feel like th this race was such a series of like any moment that I would get knocked down, like I would just come back stronger than ever. So like, it's that beast coast mentality of like, like, sure. Like the, the elements want to knock me down. Like you want to give me bad feet, like big deal. Like I can, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to prove to you that I'm better than you. <laughs> like just you wait and see. <laughs> and so it wasn't really at that point, you know, like after mile 120, I was like, well, however I finish, I finish. Like, um, <clears throat> it was really until the last age station, Ashley was like, if you keep this up, like you're, you're the 10th male right now. Like you, your, your seat, your bib number is 10. So like, that's a, be a really good finish given everything that you've been through. And, um, you know, that's when I got my pacer, Nick, and I had that like epiphany moment where I just like knew the whole course. And again, it's like something I can't describe <clears throat> whether I had like my past family members and ancestors or whatever, like some like magical energy that like, um, happened to me or whether it was like compounded dehydration and sleep deprivation or whatever. I don't know. Or maybe it's a superpower, um, but it was just like the, you know, given the circumstances, just the coolest way to cap off a race, right? Like to have someone to share that with, with in Nick, my my one and only pacer next to my dad who came out to try and save me when I was dying from dehydration at one point. Um, we got a good picture where he has a bib that says pacer. And I was like, dad, you were my first pacer, <laughs> even if it was only for like less than a mile. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that whole last stretch going up Eldon, like I had never been up that mountain before I thought I had. And, um, I just, I executed it perfectly. I mean, Nick did such a great job at keeping my spirits up and, you know, I mean, I was like a wounded animal, like hobbling out of that last second to last aid station. And he got me going 13 minute miles and, um, up the mountain. I'm, uh, just, I mean, <clears throat> I was probably under 20 minutes a mile. It was probably like 17 or 18, which for that nature of a climb is like insane. Um, you know, Wamsley is probably like at 14 cause he is superhuman. <laughs> um, but like, I was, I was really proud of how that whole section went. And then once we made it to the last aid station, it was like a party, right? <laughs> yeah. Because heck it's a down, downhill eight miles to the finish. Like I'm going to like, that, that was the moment for me where I was like, I am going to beat this thing. I am going to finish this thing. I can't believe it. Like, cause I was just waiting for the next crazy thing to happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, what happens when you drink a beer, drink a Modelo and some ramen noodles. I mean, that's <laughs> when trail magic happens, you know? And, um, I mean, that whole last eight miles was like, I'll always cherish that. That was probably, that's where I got my money's worth. I mean, it was like the, um, the most powerful moment that I've ever had in running, just being in what normally would be so much pain, but not be, knowing that I, I, my body is not responding to pain right now. And like, I'm just going to ride that wave for as long as I can. And like, I was given this gift of like pain tolerance. And, um, I mean, my knee had swollen up cause I had fell earlier in the race. 
and I had this weird knee brace and the knee brace is falling off. And it's like, I mean, the fact that I ran as fast as I did, like sub seven, six thirty miles. I mean, I was doing some running today and I looked at my pace and was like, like, oh my God, I was running 550 pace at the end <laughs> because I did some miles today and was like, this is exactly the pace I was going at the end of this race. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's, it's unfathomable. I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> that is incredible. But I mean, to, to pretty much have a sprint finish into that, into the race with the feet that I had and the dehydration and all that, all this stuff to, to do that was just epic. Like you, you can't script it any better. Right. 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 So that's what you're going to do at Bigfoot. Oh, no, thanks, man. Minus the feet. Yeah, like, you'll, yeah minus like, the feet. I'll, I'll, you know, you're going to keep, keep my feet in good shape, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was 10th male. Um, 12th overall. 12th overall, right. Yep. Right on. And total time? Uh, 83 hours and 50-something minutes. Incredible, man. So, gosh, that's what, um, three days. Uh, am I doing my math right? Three, three days. Like three and a half 11, days. Yeah, three, yeah. Three, yeah. three days, 11 hours, something like that. Yeah, man, that's incredible, dude. For 250 miles through the, the desert. That's <laughs> man. That's awesome. That's so yeah, cool. It was cool. I that mean, it cool. just, it just goes to show like, I mean, um, you know, now I have a whole new perspective on any ultra I do. If I ever have the like urge to drop out, <laughs> like I can't, like, unless I'm like really injured, I can't like, I mean, after this experience, like it's just not going to happen. Like, yeah. Cause I, Honestly, like my, my younger self, I would have dropped out of mile 120, but my more, uh, you know, this new version of coal or whatever you want to describe, like, Cole I mean, 2. it wasn't 0. an option. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't an option. You know, I was like, I, I've, I really, I, it, actually, I thrived off of it. I was like, this is even a bigger chip on my shoulder. This is a greater story. Like people look at my feet and they go, it's like, ah! <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's like a horror movie and the fact that i was able to still move at the pace that i did i mean um you know i mean when i was moving i was moving as fast as joe mcconaughey you know i found that out he messaged me and like showed me the moving pace thing and i was like oh my god we both ran we both averaged 5.4 <laughs> miles an hour i'm like holy crap like annie hughes was the fastest one she did like 5.7 wow Man. yeah jeez so you got uh third third overall, overall. Oh, yeah mm -hmm. I think that's so awesome. you know it, there was a lot of a lot of moments of of hope for me to say like you know what I think I can be really good at these 200 mile distances I came into it a rookie mm -hmm. and I left it being a more intermediate runner because mm -hmm. all the other runners that finished ahead of me they've done these types of FKTs and things tons of times right right um and you know I ran New Jersey that was my really yeah. big experience so this is really my first real official 200 mile race. And, um, no, it was really cool. And you learned a lot of good lessons. Learned sure. a lot. Yeah. That's Exponential amazing. growth. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, thoughts for the future, anything planned <clears throat> thoughts? Yeah. I definitely want to do more two hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's something special about the distance. Um, you know, I think for anyone, I think you want to, find something that really stokes your fire. And I think for the longest time for me, I was running races that just like I was doing it for the competition and not really for the personal growth and yearning. And for me, it took me to, it took me running 200 miles to learn that or 197. <laughs> and, um, the, the expedition style racing really interests me. So like what I want to do in the future is run more two hundreds, 
flat 200s, you know, Bigfoot, those, the triple crown style ones, um, ones international. Um, <clears throat> I will still do shorter distances, but I think for me, like the 200 mile distance is where I, I want to live and be a resource for people, um, especially as that distance grows in popularity. And even more so, I think where I'm even more, I have more potential as an athlete is the multi-day stage racing. So like the marathon to Saab where you're running in the Sahara desert for a week, you know, you're doing a marathon a day. Um, and, uh, those events are also fairly, they're very expensive, but they're super cool. Very, a lot of self-sufficiency involved with that. You're carrying a, a pack, you know, 25 liter pack with all your essentials, all your food. Um, you know, the race support just provides water and a tent. Right. And so I think that that style of racing is where I want to go. And, uh, you know, hopefully become more of an expert in that um, so that I can be a resource for others and inspire others and show that, you know, you don't have to have limits. Right. Right. Yeah, man. And I'm living, living that. Uh, so that, I, you know, that was inspiring. That's for sure. You gave me a lot of, a lot of ideas and a lot of things to think on. So I appreciate it, buddy. That was definitely. Awesome. No, you got it. You got it. Bigfoot <laughs> 200, a 200 you, that you, you can do that in your sleep. You'll be, you can sleepwalk it through, you know, <laughs> I probably will be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just, just, um, I think it's, uh, you just gotta be mentally tough, right? Like you're a very mentally tough guy. And, um, I think the, that's the other thing, 200 mile distance. What I love is like, you don't have to be the most talented athlete to do well you have to just be really present and you have to be mentally like, like cut, like iron, you have to be really strong and you have to be very self-aware. I think um, either that, or you have to have like the best crew and the best pacers around, which a lot, a lot of those athletes, they, they have both, you know, and that really can be a huge. That's like as important as having a really good hydration pack, you know, yep. um, and good nutrition. So um, I think, you know, again, as the sport grows, I'm just so excited for more people to jump into that type of distance and yeah. especially for you to experience it. Cause it's, um, you know, uh, I think Dylan Bowman even said like, it can be like a vision quest, you know, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's what I like about it. It's, uh, a true vision quest. So go out there and, uh, explore, right. Absolutely. Run real far and see what you're made of. That's for sure. Thanks, man. And kudos to your wife and your father too. That's definitely incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, well, congratulations once again, Cole. If people do have questions and want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah, I um I have a couple couple ways. Like I'm on Facebook. Um, so you can find me there. You send me a message. Um, Instagram definitely am uh become becoming more active there. So send me a direct message. Uh, my handle is at Cole Crosby41. Um and then I also have like a website that I've been working on doing blog posts and that kind of stuff. And that's called cresting the summit. Um, and that's kind of, um, it has like my Cocodona, like, um, race recap. I'm working on a gear recap, cool. just like some advice and stuff on terms of like things that work, didn't work. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and that's cresting the summit.com so, cresting the summit. Yep.com. Okay. I'll put all yep. these in the show notes. Okay, great. Fantastic, man. Um, you want to shout out to any of your partners or sponsors? Um, I have, I have a good amount. Sure. I'd love to say thanks to, you know, um, these, these crew that's helped me out. So, um, I've been running with, uh, T8 apparel. Um, they're a bunch of like Australian, um, ultra runners for the most part. 
the company is based out of um, Hong Kong. Um, but since using their apparel, it's been, I, I never have to worry about chafing ever um, in terms of, you know, the apparel I'm wearing. So they're awesome. Um, very ultra running trail running specific. Um, you know, you can obviously have been using their products. Fantastic. I think more ultra runners need to check them out, especially if you're um, looking into more fat ad adaptation because um, you can still get the, you know, the fats and proteins, but then also um, get the complex carbs that don't spike. Um, your insulin so you can does that in spades um and their stuff just is tastes good it's it's, it's good it's not like super sweet none of that so they're great uh nathan obviously been affiliated with them for a long time love what they do um you know uh fit socks uh the trails collective with ian and stuff i've uh, been working with that group to try and promote trail running in the east coast east coast um Dion, you know Dion snowshoes i mean you know, if it wasn't for Bob slinging me snowshoes to help train for <laughs> Cocodona, you know, who knows where, what shape I would have been in. Um, you know, my coaches, uh, Anthony and uh, uh, and Lindsay, who just got married, um, part of Stack Tracks. They have like a like a um, fitness apparatus, like a, a at home gym kind of thing. So mm -hmm. check them out. Um, they're awesome. Um, what else? You know, and there's just everybody, all, all the locally independent running stores that I had ever worked with and and all the listeners out there, um, you guys have all, you're all in a way, you're all partners and sponsors of mine because, you know, you got, and every bit of support is the fuel that I need to, you know, stay motivated and keep going. So got to thank everybody for, um, you know, for sending me kudos and belief, you know? Well said. Well said. Well, I've enjoyed my time with you, Cole. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for inspiring us. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk in the future more. Sounds great, Aaron. Best of luck this summer. And uh, you're going to crush it at Bigfoot. Thanks, man. Can't wait to follow. Congratulations, Cole. Uh, amazing, amazing story. Amazing race. Um, so much fun to hear. I certainly appreciate you sharing it with us. Um, so for, for me, um, training's going well. Um, recording this on uh wednesday june 1st uh here we are in june incredible um yesterday i did my first workout in uh in a while um it you know i just been kind of running uh really not changing paces uh just because of everything that has been going on um i i think uh i realized how overwhelmed i was by you know um getting everything together for Hellbender, um, coaching outdoor track, uh, coaching my athletes, taking care of my family, uh, and everything that goes on with owning a house. <laughs> so um, yesterday was really the first time I changed gears. Um, it was warm, um, and uh, I went by heart rate. Um, I, I didn't really care about my pace. Definitely a lot slower than uh, than. Uh, you know, where, where I've been in the past, but, uh, such is life. Uh, it was just good to kind of change the gears. Um, did a simple workout five by eight minutes, uh, just on my dirt road. And I was really pleased just to be moving, you know, quickly again. Um, so it went well. Um, <laughs> uh, like I said, I wasn't too concerned with how fast I was going. Just the fact that I was going was great. So, um, it's cool to be back on it. 
you know, I, I was, uh, I think I actually got a little bit nervous because <laughs> it had been a while since I had worked out, but, uh, it worked out really well. So, um, keep moving forward. That's what we say. Keep moving forward. Um, good double this past weekend, uh, did about, uh, 19 and a half miles. My, my wife dropped me off at the French broad river and I ran the shut in trail which I mentioned quite frequently on here. So, you know, just a great, great, great trail. Um, it's actually the mountains to sea trail, but, uh, the shut in section that runs from, uh, the French broad all the way up to Mount Pisgah. So I included two other peaks, uh, grassy knob and cold mountain knob, as well as the summit of, uh, Pisgah, uh, before my wife picked me up. And, uh, that's, uh, like, I think it was like 6,700 feet of climbing in 19 and a half miles. So, Great little training run. Came back the next day, uh, ran with my friend Nathan, who's going to be uh, crewing and pacing for me out at Bigfoot. Uh, we got in uh, about 13 and a half miles. Um, you know, just uh, just a great run. Legs felt great. So recovering well on these back-to-back efforts. Um, and I think that's kind of key, you know, for, for Bigfoot is just kind of getting used to running back-to-back-to-back. So uh, going to start incorporating, you know, three days in a row. Uh, every once in a while, uh, to, you know, just kind of make sure my legs understand what, <laughs> what's going to be required of them. So, uh, hearing Cole gave me a lot of ideas and uh, a lot of stuff to reflect on and, and think about. So, uh, that was, that was wonderful to, to hear all his stuff and what went into it, his planning and, uh, you know, some of his training and such. So, um, really enjoyed that. I hope you did. Uh, newsletter should be coming out. Uh, the, the holiday kind of goofed me up. Uh, I had plans of, uh, of getting the newsletter done, but of course, as life has it, uh, we had a tree come down, um, onto the house. <laughs> so, uh, I had to spend time cleaning that up. Uh, but anyhow, you know, uh, things happen, but the June newsletter will be out beginning of June here may not be, uh, here, uh, uh, by the time you listen to this, but hopefully, uh, it will be, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how things go. If you want to subscribe, you can go to my website, mrrunningpains.com, and check it out there. Uh, you can uh, subscribe. It's free. All my uh, previous newsletters are archived there as well under the Connect With Me page, as well as all the old podcasts. Uh, you can search on there, uh, look for a topic, and if there's a topic that I haven't gone over and you want to hear about, yeah, please reach out. Let me know. Send me a message. Um, really appreciate it. Um, and... Uh, Other than that, I hope everything goes well for you, my friends. I hope you guys had a great holiday and uh, training goes well. Uh, I know there's a lot of races coming up here uh, as, you know, summer starts because we kind of get into a a lull (laughs) over the summer, but I hope everything goes well. Um, If you're interested in coaching, uh, please reach out. I've had a a number of folks reach out, so definitely appreciate that. Uh, and it's just a conversation, you know, we have a, a phone call just to kind of see if, if coaching is, is what you're looking for, or if I'm the right fit for you. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not always the right fit and that's cool. Uh, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, my services, what I do and, uh, how I do things. So please, you know, just reach out if you'd like to have that conversation and, uh, I look forward to hearing from you. So, well, again, thank you, Cole, so much for, uh, for your time and energy tonight. And, uh, man, 
it was, it was great. I really, <laughs> that conversation flew by for me. So it was wonderful. Next week, we'll have Miriam Saloom, um, my uh, physical therapist from the Runner's Mechanic. She uh, will be talking with us about uh, gait evaluation. Uh, how, uh, how do, you know, how, how is the assessment done? What are we looking at? Why would we do it? So uh, I've already recorded that episode. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's packed full of information. So that will be next week's episode. So until then, keep running, my friends.